Hey, good people of Europe. So today, uh, me and Matthias are interviewing Jessica from the Fioneers, and we're going to discuss the pros and cons of going part-time. Part-time as in your work. Um, Jessica has done this. Me and Matthias, we're both still working full-time, so we're really curious, like, you know, what is it like to work part-time? What can it give to your life? And, you know, what are the pros and cons? Is it better? Is it worse? Does it slow you down? Does it actually, you know, make you go faster because you have so much more time to focus on other things? Anyway, we hope this will offer some value to you, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. So, welcome to another episode of the FI Europe podcast. Today, we have somebody from the United States here. It's Jessica from the Fionia. Say hi. Hi. And we have also my co-host, um, with me and its name is Alvar. Hey guys, good to be back in. <laughs> yeah, and recently I um, read through the internet and I found an interesting article from the final years about business. And that was the reason I invited Jessica to the interview. And um, yeah, but first of all, I would like to give um, Jessica the opportunity to introduce herself. So tell us a little bit where you come from, uh, what you're blogging about, um, what you do and so on. Um, so I'm Jessica. I'm in my early 30s, um, and I've been pursuing financial independence for about a year now. Um, I live in Boston in, in the United States. Um, and I know you don't talk to that many people from the U.S. on the podcast, um, so I'm really honored um, to be on this today. So a few things about me. As I said, I've been pursuing financial independence for the last year or so, um, and my husband and I started a blog about it called The Pioneers. And the idea is that it's about a pioneering journey, right, to financial independence. Um, and so we took the F and instead of the P for, for pioneers. And the idea is that the journey should be as remarkable as the destination. Mm -hmm. And so our focus is defining the life that we want and making small changes throughout our entire journey to align with that, that ideal life that we want over time. And not having there be a two-phase journey of financial independence where we work hard now and enjoy our life later. Um, I actually heard someone say a few weeks ago that they wanted to make so many small changes as they went along their journey so that when they hit their fine number, they actually didn't need to change anything. And I thought that was incredible. So I think that's the that's the goal of the pioneers. Besides the pioneers, there's a number of other things that I do. Um, we'll talk about this later in the episode. I work part-time in human resources for a nonprofit organization. Um, I've always worked in nonprofit organizations, and I've always wanted to have an impact on the world around me. And I work in human resources because I love helping people learn new things. Um, it's those light bulb moments where someone learns something new mm. that keeps me going. And that's also a big reason why I blog. Um, when I get to hear from readers about the way that, that, that I've shared, things that I've learned, that have impacted them. And that feels really rewarding for me. And then beyond that, right, there's a lot of other things that I do. Um, I do take time to pursue my passions and interests. So I'm really passionate about travel, learning languages, photography, blogging and all of that. So that's a little about me, and I'm happy to talk with you today. Yes, also just to ask, like, in terms of financial independence, when did you first discover it? Because you mentioned earlier a year ago, was there a specific source or a moment that, like, sparked a light for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say a little over a year ago, my husband and I actually did a book swap. And so my husband, Corey, has actually been a personal finance blogger since about 2011. So he's been familiar with financial independence for quite a while. And he has been trying to get me on board um, for a number of years. And it wasn't until we did this book swap where I asked him to read the, a book called Lean In, which is about women in the workplace. Um, and he asked me to read Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. Um, and I read that book. And at first I was like, I don't think this is real. And then 
I got hooked, you know, when it started asking questions like, what would you do in your life if you didn't need to work for money? Um, and I realized that I hadn't thought about that question in such a long time that it was really hard to come up with an answer. And so I sort of made it my life's mission over the next several months to figure out what would my life look like if I didn't have to work for money. And so through that, reading that book and through that conversation, we've always been managing our finances pretty well. And so when I turned to Corey and I said, is this real? Is this like a realistic thing that we could do? And he said, yeah, we have a 10-year timeline already. And we could speed that up if we, if we decided we wanted to. So that was really exciting and inspiring. And I think really what got me on, finally on board. Okay, well, and also really like the book swap idea with your partner, your partner already being a FI or financial independence slash FI blogger. And you'll be like, hey, I actually like this. That's a good one. I should try it myself as well. Give my partner a financial independence book and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also a good idea for me, I would say. I have to read the Frugal Woods then, I guess. Frugal Woods is honestly one of the first blogs I discovered myself. And it's a great startup blog and just their whole approach to life. Big recommendation or shout out um, to the Frugal Woods for anybody who wants to check them out. But to get back uh, to business, Jessica, so you said we had a 10-year time plan kind of like running. Where are you standing in the, at the moment in terms of your fight journey? How long do you still have to go? Um, I know you're happy with sharing percentages. Can you throw your savings rate and like uh, a rough overview around? Yeah, great question. So in 2018, we had a savings rate of about 60%. Um, we were aiming for about 57% and ended at, ended the year at 60, which was really exciting for us, especially because, as, as we'll talk about, I think, later in the interview, we did have some lost income over the course of that year. So being able to have a 60% savings rate was really great for us. This year, we did see our, our income um, ha- has gone down a little bit because of the decision um, to work part-time. But our expenses have also gone down. So we're still aiming for a 60% savings rate. But my guess is it'll end up being somewhere between 55 and 60%. And in terms of timeline, um, I think things are a little bit in flux for us as we're figuring out exactly the direction that we want to go. But if we decide we want to do sort of the full financial independence, full steam ahead approach that we're doing right now in our own way, that'll be somewhere between eight and 10 years. But if we decide to slow it down further, it could be longer. Um, Or if we decide to do a different lifestyle design, it could be longer. This is pretty interesting because um, most people are always talking about um, working more, getting more skills, um, trying to go up the career ladder um, or planning side hustles and so on. And you are (laughs) the first one um, we uh, met who want to or who's working part time. So why is not everybody doing it? Why are people so busy? Yeah, great question. So let's start there. So the article that I wrote um, was about how people in the United States are incredibly busy. I imagine that it translates to Europe as well in many ways. Um, But if you feel like it doesn't, take it with a grain of salt. In the U.S., highly educated people, so people with more than a college degree, have actually seen their leisure time decrease in the last 50 years. This is partially from increased work um, or time in work, but it's also increased outside activities. So people are doing more and more things. They're spending more time with friends and family. They're taking their kids to do, you know, all of these different play dates and all of the activities. And they're going to showings of things and different events that people are constantly on the go much more than they than they used to be. Um, and so why is this happening? You know, I think there's a number of reasons for it. I think one of them is that Being busy signals value and social status. And that's just not my perspective. Um, There's been some researchers from Columbia Business School that showed that people actually believe that someone has higher status and more money if they appear to be busy all the time. 
And they also found in this study that being busy is actually a socially acceptable way to signal social status. People who flaunt their wealth through cars, vacations, handbags, etc., are actually seen as less likable. And so being busy is actually one of the only socially acceptable ways to show that you're wealthy. So oftentimes, I think this is so pervasive in our culture that we buy into the narrative and we believe that busyness means we're successful, that we're important, that we're ambitious. And then that the opposite is also true, that if we're not busy all the time, that our life must not be important and must not have meaning. And there's an incredible pressure to conform to this. You know, I've heard stories and experienced this myself of people wanting to leave the office at five o'clock at the end of their day and people saying, why are you leaving so early, right? And that should be, in my mind, the normal time that people should be able to leave the office. But there's an incredible pressure to continue to work and to do more and more. And then I think another reason is that sometimes people will use busyness as a numbing behavior. Um, And so if someone is constantly moving, the truth of their lives might not catch up with them. But if they stopped, it might. And so I think that's something that people might be afraid of. And I think you know, that was something that that certainly was true of myself in the past, particularly in, in the experience when I read Your Money or Your Life. And I hadn't thought about what I really wanted in life for so long that I couldn't figure out the answer to the question of what would I do if I didn't need to work for money. And that was painful um, at the time to realize that I had not even thought about that. And this was one of those things of saying I wasn't happy, but I was so crazy busy that it didn't catch up to me until I slowed down. Okay, wow, Jessica. And to start, this definitely applies to Europe as well. We might have some more benefits slash uh, more stable health insurance than the US, but people tend to work a lot here and be really, really stressed and mm-hmm. not aware of it as well. So as, as kind of like a lifestyle, and we've been going in the Western world for the last 70, 80 years um, and kind of developing effectively going from, um, you know, having a chance through new technologies to, you know, go back to like a 15-hour work week and still have the same life standard, but we're doing the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And I found it, um, I found your article pretty interesting. We're definitely also going to link to it in the show notes. And But I would really be wondering about why do people do this? Because she already she mentioned earlier, it's easy to be busy. It gives you a good social status. It's, yeah, and it's also, if you would actually stop doing it, it would be emotionally hard. You would suddenly like, hey, wait, my job is my all, my everything. Or if you would work far less and like, I've got so much time, I don't know what to do anymore. I've lost my purpose. Why don't people just change and try something else? What, what's the reason why they keep going like this? You know, I'm not, I, can, I can't answer for everyone. Um, I think I can only answer for myself. Um, but I do think for me, the reason why I kept going at such a busy pace for so long in my life before figuring out that I needed to slow down was because I didn't realize that there was anything different that I could be doing, right? I had been socialized into the narrative that what you do is you go to college, you get a good job, you work your way up, you're going to work for 40 to 50 years, hopefully in a job that you don't hate, and that that's just life. And hopefully you find meaning and purpose from, from the job and the life that you have and the work that you're doing. And so it wasn't really until I was introduced to financial independence that I started to see examples of people who are choosing to live their lives in different ways and not buy into that traditional conventional narrative, but seeing people exiting the workforce at, you know, 30, between 30 and 40 years of age and seeing people decide that they want to, you know, that they have enough passive income to be able to do mini retirements or that they can go and do a type of work that they're excited about doing 
that isn't necessarily the traditional workforce for the next 40 years. And so I think it took that motivation and that understanding of what was possible in life to change that perspective that something else was possible besides this crazy busy life all the time. But it's not easy. You're going against the system if the whole world is saying you're going to work 50 hours a week and everybody's expecting it and you suddenly decide like, hey, I'm going to go part-time. Hey, I'll retire or hey, I'll do something completely different. It's society expects you to do it. But if you do something else, what happens then? And what I would also like to ask, we talked about, you know, why people do this, but what can it give people in terms of benefits by actually not doing it? What happens if you go against the system and you decide to do something else? So I think if you go against the system, I think, you know, I think there are probably social ramifications potentially, um, right? Which is, I think, part of the reason why we've chosen to be anonymous at this point. We haven't told a lot of our family or friends exactly what we're doing because I think we're feeling like we would probably get some pushback and don't feel like we're in a place where we need to explain that. But I also think there's tremendous benefits. I think we get to decide what success means for us. We don't have to live our lives according to that narrative um, and be unhappy working 50-hour weeks and always feeling constantly frazzled and frustrated and like we want to be doing other things with our lives. Right? We get to decide, this is what success means for me. And we each get to do that individually. And for me, right, me going against the system means I have a vastly better quality of life. Because I get to say success for me means that I get to decide what I value and what I want to get out of my life. And then I get to spend my time doing those things. Right? That's the ultimate goal, is that I'm doing things that make me happy, that are fulfilling, that help the world that I'm going to feel really good about at the end of the day, rather than spending 50 hours a week at a job that I don't really like. I think FI is, is, a, is a huge movement and it's um, it's going faster and faster. So there, there will be a time when it's uh, socially accepted also to work less, I guess, to work less, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> and um, also, I, I think uh, we don't have to work so much because uh, of automation. In Sweden, they also test the uh, um, four-day uh, four work week or six-hour work week. So I think um, the start is there. Um, but still, in, in organizational culture, especially uh, yeah, also in consulting companies um, like the one I'm working in, But also in many other companies, there's a culture that you you have to perform, you have to you have to work harder than the other ones, otherwise you're not promoted. And how can how is it possible to change that kind of culture within an organization? I mean, you are you're working in an HR department. Are you, for example, are you able to change the culture of the company towards more yeah, freedom or to towards lower work time? You know, that's a great question. I think. The organization that I work for in some ways is fairly unique in that it's a it's a women-run organization. And I think women-run organizations tend to be um, slightly more flexible in many cases. But I do know that, that you know, most people in the organization are working full-time. There's certainly a handful of people who work part-time. And I think that what I've been trying to do is to set an example. I'm only two and a half months into that job, so there's not, I would say, a lot of specific changes I've been able to make yet. But I think the things that I've been able to do is be really clear about my, what my work hours are. And I think it's really easy, to, not really easy, but it is a lot easier to do that when you're when you work three days a week and the expectation isn't that I'll be logging in on Thursdays and Fridays when, I aren't, when I aren't, they aren't my work days, right? And so when, you know, some request or some project comes to me, 
Um, say, for example, I was giving a presentation or I was asked to give a presentation with sort of a late notice. Um, it was about two weeks before. And my boss asked me if I could put together a presentation for the entire organization. And I said, I would like a minute to think about it. And she was like, OK, why don't you think about it? Come back tomorrow. Let's talk. And we can talk about what needs to be deprioritized. And I went back to her the next day and I said, OK, so I have five work days between now and then. So it basically means that everything except these two things that absolutely need to get done need to be deprioritized until after this training that I do. And I think I've become, I think through financial independence, much more confident to say, I'm bringing you a skill that you don't have in your organization. You need that in your organization. And I can set my own limits. I don't need to work, you know, extra hours. I can say, this is the capacity that I have, and these are the things that I'm going to do, and these are the things I'm going to push off. And so far, no one has had any challenges with that. And I think I'm hoping that that might spread in the organization, right, to others who then might be able to say, okay, how can I deprioritize things or how can I have these sort of negotiation conversations about priorities to say, yes, I can do that thing you want me to do, but this is what it means, and so that's, I think, the hope that the, the way that I would hope to be able to change it. So, Matthias, have you ever talked about dividend stocks, Estonian companies, or how frugal you are on the first dates or with one of your colleagues? I tried it once with a colleague and he said, dividend what? Aha, uh-huh. do you know, I actually have a retreat that covers this all. Oh, tell me more. So this retreat, it's all about workshops and talks together with like-minded folks who share their knowledge with you. Oh, sounds awesome. Do you have also barbecue, yoga and surfing? And are we able to have a glass of wine? Actually, yes, we do. That's all together combined in Portugal. But the most important question of the day, when is this actually? Will it be in 2019? It's actually in 2019, at 24th of May to 27th at Agave in Portugal, near the ocean. And we have also a pool for people who don't like nature. That actually sounds pretty good. And then where do I find this? Head over to financial-independence.eu slash retreat. That's R-E-T-R-E-A-T. So yeah, winter shit. Looking forward to it. You mentioned earlier that business shows social status or people want to show social status Mm -hmm. by business. And now you said to your boss, you said like no, or you said, you haven't said no, but you said, please, we need to prioritize. So does it also improve the social status to say no? That's a great question because I think it does. And I don't have, I don't have any studies uh, in front of me, but I think that it does because it shows that you have a level of confidence that like you're just putting your foot down and you're saying, I have a level of confidence to say, no, I can't do this. Whereas I, I don't actually say, no, I can't do this. I say, I would really love to be able to do this and to be able to do that. Here's what I would need. So that sort of softens it a little bit. But I do think that when people have clear boundaries and limits, that it does, I think people respect that. Whereas at the same time, I do think that it in some ways is showing a sort of lower level of social value potentially at the same time. It's certainly possible that I won't advance in my career in this organization as quickly as I did in previous companies because I'm not going above and beyond and doing everything that's asked and more. But given where I am at this moment, I'm okay with that. So um, first of all, I've heard uh, from you that FI is making you more confident to say no. And I've also seen studies that saying no is improving your status because you don't agree with everything and you're thinking about your priorities and where where you want to go. Another question that pops 
up in my head is when you work part-time, is it possible um, or is your career slowing down or are you making progress in your career? I think when you say you work part-time, many people would think that you're not willing to go further in your, in, in your career or in the company, take more responsibility and so on. Uh, would you say it's possible to um, make, um, yeah, to improve your career or take better positions when you're working part-time? That's a great question. I do think it depends on the environment. Um, I do think where I am, I think it would be possible in my organization, but I probably would need to decide that like this is the thing that I want to make a priority in my life, if that makes sense. And so during the interview process with this organization, I did have conversations with um, the CEO about the vision for the role, the vision, like, is, would it be possible for it to grow um, into a more senior role? And they said that it would be possible on, to do that. But the question that I would have for, my, for myself is, I don't know if that's what I would want. I think that I have different goals now. Like, I am happy to be doing sort of the manager level work that I'm doing. I'm not sure I want more responsibility because I want to have time and brain space and energy to be able to build up the Vineers, our blog, to be able to, you know, do the things outside of work that I'm really interested in. And so I think it would be possible, but it would be me needing to decide that that's what I wanted. If you, you've, you've decided to stop here at the level of your career as a manager and to, to pursue some other side projects or just life. And so is then the, the job you're doing, is it then really what you want to do? Because if you, if you do something in, in your job, what you really want to do, isn't then it the case that you really focus on this one thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of me likes to have a variety of things in my life. I do think that part of it is that at this moment, I have decided that I want to continue to work in the traditional workforce and not decide to go the entrepreneurial route at the moment completely. Um, I think I don't want the stress and pressure of needing to cover all of my expenses and more on, on sort of entrepreneurial in my own things, which is why I'm hoping to build those things up on the side while I'm working part-time. And then potentially, if I'm really enjoying that, then I would be able to transition out of the traditional workforce and focus on my own ventures. Um, so I think that right now that that is my ultimate goal, but I do enjoy what I do on the day-to-day -day basis. I have, you know, I have the opportunity to to be part of a great community, to work in an organization that's making an impact and to be able to do, you know, work that is really meaningful to me. Um, it, sort of the, the helping people learn part of, of the work is really meaningful to me. Um, but I do think that ultimately my goal is to potentially be able to run my own business and be location independent. Okay, Jessica, I like this approach and also not wanting to work 40 hours and recognizing, hey, I like working part-time and having other things on the side. That, that's completely fair. And if that works better for you as a person, go for it. I think it's as an approach, like I would love to do it myself that personally, I'm only working 35 hours a week. So in US terms, it would probably be considered almost part-time. In the UK, it's still effectively full-time. And I would love to work even less than that. But the idea of having a main job, focusing on other projects at the same time, working three days. And at the same time, you're still advancing in your career. You're still learning things. There's still meaning to it. And we can, can we make the case that, for example, you working three days and being able to focus on other passions makes you better 
at your job and at the same time better at your passions because you can focus on all of them at once instead of just one core thing. And now you can cross transfer energy, skills, insights that you, you or say somebody else like would never have had if they had just solely focused on their 40 hour work week and had stuck to that. So um, thank you for this. I, as, as an insight, I can really learn something from this myself as well. Right. And I, I think that's, I think what you said is true. I think there are so many things that I take actually from blogging into my workplace. Um, and one of, one of the things my organization does is they, they sort of help people through financial coaching. And so I'm able to bring the perspective that I know about finances into that space. And then I actually bring a lot of the things that I learn in my workplace back into my blogging. One recent article that I read was about when people should start looking for a new job. Or another one was how to negotiate salary um, and giving people tips that sort of from a perspective, from, from a hiring manager perspective, where I've been on both the sort of negotiator side, as well as on the company side, negotiating with candidates. And so giving people information that they might need to be able to do that. And so I think I've been able to sort of cross pollinate um, the different areas of my life. Now, obviously, many people hear this and they think like, hey, this is amazing. I want to work part time as well and organize my life like this, but they're stuck in a job. And if they would even you know, dare saying, I want to work 25 hours a week, they have the idea I'm going to get fired. How do you go on getting this actually organized in your life? If somebody is listening like, hey, I would love to work part time. Like, how do you either find a job that works with that or convince your current company slash boss uh, to let you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I actually found an organization that was looking to hire someone in, into a part-time role. And so it was a small organization. They didn't feel like they had enough work in the HR department to be able to hire someone in a full-time capacity. And so for me, that worked out really well. Part of during the process, I think they thought originally that I wanted to work four days a week. And so we actually negotiated that during um, the offer process that I actually only wanted to work three days a week. And so that actually worked out pretty well to be able to negotiate that before coming in, because I do think that it's easier to go up than to go down in work, especially because for me, it was a new role in the organization. So they'd never had someone in an HR role before. And so everything that I was adding was new. Whereas if I started at 80% and I had been doing, you know, four days a week of work for a certain number of months and then said, I actually know I want to work three days a week. I think it would be hard to, to have them adjust to that. Although not impossible. Um, I've certainly seen people in other work environments go from full-time to working three days a week or four days a week. Um, I think it, if you if you do that in your work environment, I think you need to be able to set really clear boundaries and sort of not let yourself get walked all over um, because people might expect that of you if you were formerly full-time. Yes, and it's also with most jobs, when you start, you're expected to work full-time. Once you become more senior, often you have the chance to work less. You have a bit of leverage and you can mm -hmm. actually step on and like, hey, I want to work. 30 hours a week and uh well if you don't allow me well i've got kids now i've got my priorities which is obviously the conventional route of going and i i do see many friends and colleagues in general even with new jobs like it becomes more and more acceptable but it's still the norm stays 40 hours a week nine to five and if you do anything less well you're a bad employee but hopefully we can set examples we can work around that or just create our own jobs and not have a boss at all Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's a great point that you make too, as well around people advancing in their career. I think within your organization, it might be challenging to have it be your same job, but in reduced hours. But if you're moving into a different job or a more senior job, 
um, in the company or organization that you're working with, it might be more possible to at that point say, okay, but I want this next step to be a four days a week because here are my priorities and to set those really confidently and clearly um, and to, you know, and to move forward in that way. Yes. And it's also the, the power of saying no way you touched on earlier, being able to communicate clearly, be proactive and not be the employee who just sits on his desk and says nothing. I, I, find, I find this really interesting, but if I would try this myself, my company would never allow me, well, at this very moment and in terms of busyness to work any less, it's just not standard. I'm working in IT. So I guess that might be just the industry. And there are many industries where it's a bit more acceptable uh, to go from there. And that's also obviously when you start your career, when you make a shift to a new job or when you just are thinking about like, what do I want to accomplish in the next five years? I would see that as a thing like, okay, the industry I'm picking, does it suit my needs? Not just necessarily in terms of learning purposes, but also is it accepted to work part-time? It's honestly a question Every time I looked at industries, I'd never asked myself. And I also don't think it's something people like generally do if they're looking like, hey, I want to work in HR or in finance, the oil and gas industry, asking themselves in five years, if I would want to work part time, is it possible? Alva, I think also your, your, your company and your boss is paying less. If you work just four days, um, they have to pay less. So it, it may, might be a belief that you can't work four days. So you, you, you can try and ask. <laughs> oh, but most definitely. But, but what often tends to happen is if you ask things like that, um, you know, say they're like, sure, you can go to a four down work week, but the workload stays on a five day level. <laughs> that's the thing that happens a bit often. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, yeah, that can be true. Anyway. So what would you say, Jessica, is the process for somebody who wants to go part-time? What's the process to, to prepare for that? So let's say I would like to go part-time in October. What, what steps do I need uh, to do to um, prepare myself for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, first you would need to have a position that was part-time, whether that's negotiated within your company or a new position. Um, but once you've done that, I think that there's a few things to do. Um, so one is looking at our income, right? And seeing what, what would the change in income be? And in a two income household, it's, I think much easier for one person to opt to work part-time. I think if I were doing this all on my own, that would have been a much more difficult decision um, because around the same time that I decided to work part-time, my husband actually got promoted in, in his job and got a, a pretty hefty salary increase. And so when we looked at the change in income, it was lower, but not as much as we would necessarily expect it to be. The second thing that I would do, so first you look at income, second, you'll look at your expenses to see if there are costs that you can reduce or eliminate. So are there things that you you would be able to spend less money on? And I think we've certainly been able to do that. Um, we've spent less money this year um, so far than we did on average in 2018 on things like eating out, um, on travel because of travel hacking, and just on buying random things off Amazon, right? We've, we've just been doing that less and less and being much more mindful of what we're spending money on, knowing that our income is down from, from what it was last year. So for us, we were able to look at that sort of expenses and income. And because we've been pursuing financial independence and because we've been living well below our means for a number of years, we had a 60% savings rate last year. We were still able to see that we would have higher than a 50% savings rate with, a, with what would be expected as dramatic improvement in the quality of our lives for a slightly longer timeline. Right. So it might be more on the 10 year end than the eight year end if we have a 55% rate savings rate instead of a 60. I do think that if we weren't pursuing financial independence and we were able to look at that and we were able to still save a fairly significant amount for retirement, but if we wanted to sort of work until a traditional retirement age, we probably would have looked at that and said, okay, can we be saving 20 or 25% of our income? And if we still could, I think we would 
have said yes in that case, probably as well. So how did you manage to keep your savings rates at high or that, that high in relation, but 60% is not bad. So how are you doing that in, in short, maybe? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's a few things. I think one, we actually were able to graduate from college and I was able to graduate from graduate school without any student loans. Um, so we got scholarships and grants um, and then did pay some um, of it directly out of pocket ourselves, but we're able to to do that. So we don't have a, and that's, this is a big issue in the United States. I think it's maybe not quite as bad in Europe, but people here might be coming out of school with 50, 75, 100,000 or more in student loans. Um, and may for, for many people, that's their largest bill every month, right? They might be paying more than their rent to pay back their student loans. Um, and so for us, we were able to really get a jump on our savings. Um, and I consider myself really lucky to not have, have needed to take out those student loans and to have parents who made it not seem like that was a viable option. I think I'm really, really lucky for that because coming out, there wasn't, you know, thousands of dollars of debt that we needed to pay back. That's a good reason because um, I also heard um, that the student loan topic, it's its huge in the US. It's not that huge in Europe. But if you start with such a huge uh, loan, then it's uh, pretty hard to, to save that amount of money. I have one last question for you, um, Jessica, because we have to wrap up. Um, just a short one. Um, I read that uh, Jeff Bezos is, is sleeping eight hours a night. So how much are you sleeping per night? That's great. Um, I sleep about eight hours a night. So I try to go to bed around 10 um, and wake up around six on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I need eight hours of sleep to be able to function productively. Um, and so that's a big priority for me. <laughs> okay. And you did that also before you, you went short, um, uh, part-time? I did. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So Jessica, we slowly want to wrap up now, but we want to throw our uh, final questions over to you and see what we kind of awesome answer we get out of you. So first of all, uh, where can people find you in terms of blog, Instagram, Twitter? You can find me at our blog is thefioneers.com and on Twitter and Instagram at thefioneers. One resource that's not well known that you can or that you would recommend to our audience? So I think there's a couple, if that's okay. Um, I think there's a stereotype, at least in the United States, that financial independence is for white men that work in tech when there is actually a lot more diversity in the community. Um, but sometimes you actually need to seek it out to be able to find the diversity. Um, and so there's a few places that I tend to look to find the diversity amongst the community. So there's a an article by Tread Lightly, Retire Early, Women in the Fi Community. The Debt-Free Guys just came out with an article that's a list of LGBTQ personal finance bloggers. Um, My Money Chronicles has a list of African-American um, or Black personal finance bloggers. And if not many people know this, but in the Rockstar Finance directory, you can actually search um, by both gender and race if you want to see a list of bloggers that have more diverse perspectives. Can you also search by by job or income? You know, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, I don't remember. Okay, but I think it's uh, bringing new perspective, of course, um, if you look for other gender or people from other continents or other mm -hmm. yeah, backgrounds. But in general, Rockstar Finance is always amazing to have a look at if you want to find some inspiration or just an awesome blog. So, yes, I got the last question of today. What would be the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the path to find it? You would recommend them, like, go for this. If, if there's one thing you're doing, please do this at least. I think the foundational thing that everyone must do if they're pursuing FI is to figure out why. What does your ideal life look like? What are you searching for? 
what what do you want to be getting out of your life? Financial independence is such a long-term goal that without this long-term vision of what you want for your life to center you, I think it's probably pretty easy to get complacent um, or pretty easy to just, you know, give up on the process. Yes, it got uh, strong, but short. Um, so I think that's a great way um, to end the interview of today. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and core resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.